Praise God. Can y'all hear me good? Okay. This is a, a full circle moment for me right now. Uh, just being up here with the privilege to be able to, you know, preach the word of God. Uh, just just want to acknowledge some people real quick. Uh, Mom and Deb, can you stand up for a minute? And so... October 3rd, 1999 is when I got saved. So it's a privilege to be standing in front of y'all on October 3rd to be able to preach this message, right? And, and that was the woman who actually invited me to church. She would invite me all the time. We, I took her up on her offer that day. And that day, the Lord saved my soul. And so I'm praying that that will be somebody else's testimony here today. Uh, that if you don't know the Lord, that October 3rd will be a day that you can look back at and say, the Lord saved my soul. And, uh, and if you're already saved, maybe you can look back on October 3rd and say, I was immensely encouraged this day to rededicate my life to the Lord. Or if you're already dedicated to him, hopefully I can throw some wood on the fire today. Amen. Right. So, uh. Yeah, um, can everybody see the shirt that I got on? Got on money. And so, this is like one of my favorite rap labels, right? And uh, I, I like it because it's contrary to what the world would tell you, right? So when you watch most rappers or athletes these days, it's always money over everything, MOE, right? But, uh, uh, to to say God over money, man, that that's that was that was huge. So when that uh, when uh, his name is Bizzle, when he came out with it, I was like, man, I'm on him. And so uh, yeah, and so it had me thinking, what if money could talk? What if money could talk? I want y'all to use y'all imagination right now. I know y'all like he's talking on wrong already. Talking about using our imagination. But choose your imagination right now and think about what, what if money was a person and he could talk? What would he say about himself? I bet you he would be real puffed up with pride, right? And so I, I thought about that. And so I think he would say, sound something like this. Everybody wants me. I created thieves. My existence is almost important as the air you breathe. I've been through hard times when it wasn't enough of me. Stick with me, kid, I have to live in a luxury. I'm the reason people selling drugs to fiends. I'm the reason O.J. Simpson got off clean. I'm the reason why some parents had to bury their kids, and I'm the reason why your cousins on the run from feds. I've been through customs, borders, I've been handled by authorities. Drove people crazy when they couldn't see more of me. I've been saved, I've been buried alive. Say my name enough for anybody to testify. Who you think made that girl sell her body that time? All by myself, I created black and black crime. I'm America's most. I'm tatted up with ghosts. Even my head got big, from neck to gross. I'm emotionless, yet I breed jealousy and envy. People kill for me or die to defend me. In the end, am I really worth it, y'all? Rich people make me work for them, or people work for me. Money. How many of y'all know money is not going to happen? Raise your hand if you know money is not going to heaven. Money has no eternal value. That's why it should be easy to say God over money. 
That's why it should be easy to say God over everything, right? But the truth is, you can't put God over anything if you don't know who God is. And so, we're going to read today about a man who put God over money. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to be spending most of our time in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would use me today as your microphone to speak into the hearts and minds of your people, including myself, Father, that we would all leave encouraged, convicted, and, and closer to you. Uh, so, Father God, I, I pray, Father, that by your spirit, Father, that you would save the unsaved, that you would uh, encourage those that are already in the faith. Pray all things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. So, so Luke, so the book of Luke, uh, is we call it the gospel of Luke. And so it's the good news about Jesus Christ. There are four gospels. And Luke actually did not walk with Jesus at the time of his life. He is what you call, he was a doctor and also a historian that kind of went back in time and, and did his research and put together his gospel. And so uh, right now we're going to take kind of our binoculars and we're going to kind of zero in on one day or one moment in the life of Jesus. And so uh, Luke 18, 18 through 30, I'm going to read that for you. Uh, reading from the ESV version. Uh, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when Jesus heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Praise God for the reading of his word. Um, so I want y'all to, to look at Luke 18 and 19 again. I'm going to read it one more time for you. Verses 18 and 19. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, 
Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. On the surface, it seemed like this man is asking a great question. If we were out evangelizing, we would be thrilled if someone came up to us and asked us this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus has a way of looking past the surface, right? And answering needs. What this man needs to know is that only God is good. Which is my first point. Only God is good. Notice in these two scriptures how many times we see the word good. He called Jesus good teacher. And then he goes on to ask Jesus what good thing, as some translations says, what good thing that he can do to inherit eternal life. Although this man is asking what most people would call a good question, his question contains an assumption. He assumes he can do something to earn eternal life. He doesn't know Isaiah 64, 6. So turn, turn to Isaiah 64, 6. And it's up there on the teleprompter too. So I'm gonna give you some time to get there. Now I'm gonna read the King James Version from Isaiah 64, 6. But we, all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So apart from God, all our righteousness are filthy rags. See, the rich man didn't understand Psalm 53, 2 and 3. I'm going to read that for you. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none good. There is none who does good. Not even one. But see, Jesus understands the contrast between God and man perfectly. That's why when Jesus, when Jesus preached his famous sermon on the mountain, he was able to say in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, let me, let me turn there, Matthew 7, 9 through 11. And so we're talking about the contrast that Jesus understands between God and man. And so Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Oh, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So he said, and I love the way Jesus put it. He, he real straightforward with it. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father who is good give to those who ask him? So he's letting you know, I'm good, you're not. <laughs> and so, um, 
Jesus, like I said, Jesus understands that contrast. God is not, good is not just an adjective to describe God. Good is not just a verb to describe God's actions, even though we know that all God's actions are good. Good is not just an attribute of God, but good is a noun when referring to God because it is who he is. God is good. See y'all ain't with me up there. God is good all the time. Come on, y'all. All the time, God is good. Which brings me to my second point. Only God is just. So look at verse 20. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Jesus names five of the Ten Commandments. And look at the rich young ruler's response. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. This man is claiming perfection. Let's take a deeper look at the Ten Commandments. Can y'all see them on the board? Notice the first four commandments are directly about God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall, you shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of your God, Lord God, in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So those first four are straight about God. And the next uh, six are about loving your neighbor. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. And so that's why Jesus uh, was able to summarize the Ten Commandments with love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And the second one is like the same, love your neighbor as yourself. So either this rich young ruler is puffed up with pride and self-deceit or has a very shallow understanding of God's commandments. Uh, turn with me to Matthew 5, 21 and 23, 21 through 23. That it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. So right there, Jesus is taking something that the rich young ruler may have thought surface, but I ain't never murdered nobody. But nah. Jesus is saying, if you ever been angry without your with your brother was out of cause. You are guilty of murder. Look at, let's look at uh, Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
So the rich young ruler might have said, man, I ain't never slept with anybody but my wife. But Jesus says, if you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you're already guilty of breaking the Ten Commandments, right? So this man, he's been hoodwinked because he doesn't understand that the purpose of our Lord's commandments was to reveal the perfection of God and show us our need for a Savior. Only God is just. Uh, Tony Evans gave this example uh, about his son Anthony. He said uh, he was talking to his son Anthony. His son Anthony was like, man, I'm done. Uh, Anthony probably was like maybe about 13 at the time. He was like, man, pops, I'm getting. He was like, man, I'm getting. And his father was like, what? He was like, yeah, I'm getting it all types of different ways and everything. His father was like, man, I need to see this. Right, and went out back with him, and sure enough, Tony uh, uh, Anthony was, huh, 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 he was getting it. But guess what? He had lowered the basket, right? <laughs> he had lowered the basket, and that's what this rich young ruler is doing with the Ten Commandments. He's lowering God's standard to make it able for him to feel like he's accomplishing it. But God, he sets his standards high, y'all. Real high. Um, if you ever been with me out evangelizing, uh, one of the things I ask people is I, I ask them, I say, if you were to die today, you stand before God. And if He was to ask you, why should I let you in? What would you say? And a lot of times, the response I get is something to the sort of them being a good person, or something to the sort of they'll start naming the good things they did. You know, I walked old ladies across the street. I did this and that. But, uh, you know, again, the rich young ruler and, and, and a lot of us, we set the bar real low. But Jesus, he sets the bar real high. Read, let's read Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not the Gentiles do the same? Now this is where I want y'all to really lean in on this last verse. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. See that? God sets the bar real high. Real high. And that bar is perfection. Um, let's look at James 2.10-11. through 11. And this will give us even some more understanding of the Ten Commandments. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he said, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so... Let's say, for instance, this, this dude did keep those first um, 
five, those five commandments that he made, let's say he did keep it perfectly, right? Real quick, let's pick up on our story and watch this. Verses 22 to 23 and uh, 18. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. See, Jesus pulls this man's car. <laughs> this man was guilty of breaking the first and the second commandment. This man was committing idolatry, blinded by his riches. He didn't recognize who was standing right there in front of him. Which brings me to my third point. Jesus is God. Let's take a trip back to the initial question the rich man had and Jesus' first response in verses 18 and 19 of the text. Let's take a trip back there real quick. Uh, Luke 18, 18 and 19. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I've come across some Jehovah Witnesses and some Hebrew Israelites who would try to use these scriptures as proof that Jesus is not God. But Jesus is not denying his own goodness and he is definitely not denying that he is God. Let me give you an example. Who in here know who Bill Russell is? Better question. Who in here doesn't know who Bill Russell is? Okay, Sean, you don't know who Bill Russell is. So, Bill Russell, he's an uh, ex-NBA player who won uh, many championships. And so, let's say Bill Russell, we're using our imagination again, let's say Bill Russell was sitting right here and somebody came up to him, Sean came up to him and said, you know, Sean usually don't greet people like this, but let's say she just said, what's up, Chad? And he responds to her, the one who's Chad is the one who won 11 championships. Now, Sean might be like taken back by his response, what is this guy talking about? But if somebody knew who Bill Russell is, they'd be like, you talk about yourself. You talk about yourself. You the champ, right? And see, that's what's happening with this rich young ruler. This rich young ruler greets him as good teacher, probably just agree. But he doesn't know who he's talking to. He's talking to the one who is good. The only one that's good. Mm. Look at verse 22 again. Jesus didn't instruct them on how to be a better, how to do a better job keeping the commandments. Jesus didn't tell him to go follow the Father. Jesus told this man to go and give away all his possessions to the poor and follow him. Jesus is pointing to himself. Jesus is saying, I am the true treasure. And look at the rich man's demeanor in verse 23. The scripture says that he became very sad. He couldn't do it. He couldn't separate from his riches. 
This man was possessed, not with the demon, but by his possessions. He was possessed by his possessions. His wealth had a grip on him. His wealth had a grip on his heart. He put wealth over God. Look at verses 24 and 25. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, y'all see that picture up there? Y'all see it? It's in the back. You can see it real good in the back. Uh, funny picture. Campbell tried to go through the eye of a needle. Uh, uh, one of the translations or one of the ways prosperity teachers translate this is that the eye of the needle is a passageway in which a camel has to have his back broken and pushed through this tunnel. And I, I didn't find no uh, evidence of that nowhere in the Bible. I really think he was talking about an actual needle. Because the disciples would have been familiar with what an actual needle is. See, they would have been familiar with garments. So garments were really important back then. And so a needle, and Jesus was clever. He always used things that they could relate to, right? And then Luke being a doctor, of course, we all know when people get stitches, they use the, the needle to stitch up wounds and things of that nature. And so I believe he was talking about a definite needle and he was giving them an impossible illustration in which a camel in no shape or form can fit through the eye of a needle unless God does something super miraculous. So how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is impossible for a man to save himself by his so-called goodness. And look at the disciples' response in verse 26. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? What they are essentially asking, if this rich young ruler, ruler with all his advantages can't be saved, who can be? And, and so, um, I remember it was a show back in the day in which they showed, uh, they would put a, a car in a, a very poverty neighborhood, right? And they would leave the keys in it and they would leave it running and they would see how many people stole it, right? And sure enough, they put it in this neighborhood, people would steal it right away, right? And then they put it in a, a, a very uh, rich area, a very affluent area, and nobody stole the car. And they, and they use that to say, ah, oh, these people are criminals. Ah, oh, these people are not. Not even understanding that being a tempter, they're kind of uh, putting their place in Satan uh, even closer than the ones that's taken. And they're actually being a stumbling block to some folks. But my point is that a lot of times we can look at the rich and say, okay, well, they don't have to steal. They got money. They don't have to lie. They don't have to do these things to get ahead. Man, they blessed. But no. Which brings me to my fourth point. God 
is the Savior. Only God can save. Uh, let's read verses 27 again. Um, only God can save. Uh, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So man cannot pull itself by, up by his own bootstraps, y'all. Man cannot get itself into heaven. Only God can save. And look at Peter's response in verse 28. Basically, he's saying, we following you, Jesus. Again, pointing to the very fact that Jesus is God. He's equating his being saved with him following Jesus. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come. And in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus is actually promising them provisions and he's promising them eternal life, which again is pointing to himself being God and pointing to the fact that only God can save. Okay, fam, let's, let's apply what we learned, right? I can guarantee whether it be as an individual or as a church, we will be tempted to believe that God is not good. So what we need to do is consistently and constantly remind each other that God is good. Death is real, fam, and even though death is a common occurrence until the Lord removes the sting of death, it's going to hurt every time it hits us. I'm sure there's people in this room who have lost loved ones or know someone who has lost a loved one who needs to be reminded that God is good. Thinking about MLK, there's a, there's a picture up there of a young lady who was murdered. Her family needs to be reminded in that terrible situation, that terrible tragedy, that God is good. I, I think of my own wife and myself as, you know, right now, most of y'all know, our uh, youngest is in the hospital, hooked up to all these machines and things. And, you know, it's a temptation there to believe, seeing all that we're going through, that God is not good. And I, I thank God for uh, Pastor Josh, you know, when he, when he asked me to preach, he came back to me a couple of days later and said, man, you sure you want to do this? Because I don't want to place any unnecessary burdens on you. But I told him, I was like, man, I'm sure, because this word is really blessing me. Actually going into the scriptures and understanding that God is good is really blessing me and, and blessing my wife. And so one of the ways we can encourage people that God is good is, is through the scripture. And so I just want to read a few scriptures that I found encouraging that hopefully will encourage you. Uh, mostly going to be quoting from the book of Psalms. Psalm 25 and 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 145 and 9. The Lord is good to all 
and his tender mercies are over all his works. Yeah. Psalm 27, 13. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 69, 16. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Psalm 143.10 Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Psalm 92.15 The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalm 34.8 one of my favorites. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Psalm 33, 5. Now, this encouraged me when all the shootings and things was going on. And we've seen so many of the police shootings and things. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 33, 5. And the last one. Psalm 104 through 5. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And so there's so many things that the word says about God's goodness. And so we as a church and we as, as family and friends need to constantly and consistently encourage each other in the fact that God is good. Um, we, need to, we need to always be reminded that only God is just. It's so easy for us as believers, y'all, to become self-righteous. Uh, just to tell y'all a little bit about me, and, and this involves your son. And so, me and my brother Ert, we, uh, I say Ert, that's the DC in me. Me and Ert, we had a place together, and uh, we, was, uh, we would invite people over for fight parties. And I remember just taking such pride in, in telling all my friends, you cannot bring alcohol to this party, that you have to leave it in the car. Uh, and, and I did that with my chest out, like, yeah, y'all can't do that. Thinking that that was in some way making us feel righteous. Not even understanding I was being a hypocrite because I went to restaurants where they serve alcohol and things of this nature, but I, I'm like, you know, don't bring no liquor in here, right? And so we need to be careful to remember that only God is just and not set, set up standards that the Bible doesn't set. I remember uh, one of my cousins had invited me to a, uh, to a family gathering. And, and I said to them, I said, is alcohol going to be there? They were like, yeah. I was like, well, I ain't going to be there. You know what I mean? Thinking that this was in some way, you know, uh, honoring God. When honestly, I was missing out on opportunities to like love on my family and, and share the gospel and encourage them in Christ. And so, you know, we don't want to set up those false things uh, that elevates ourselves. We want to recognize that God is perfect and we are not. And so therefore, we want to point people to Christ. And uh, last thing by way of reminder, we need to know that God is the Savior, and there is no other way. Well, first, I mean, we always need to be reminded that that Jesus is God. We need to know that in our evangelism. We need to be solidified in our own minds. 
we need to know that Jesus is the good news. As much as great as baptisms are, y'all, baptisms do not save. Uh, praise God for people walking down the aisle, but if they don't know who Jesus is, then they are not saved. And so, praise God for the tracts that people read. I used to read them all the time and read the prayer at the end. But if I don't know who Jesus is, then there's no salvation. And so we as a church want to make sure that people recognize who Jesus is. That Jesus came and he lived a perfect sinless life that none of us could. That he died on the cross, not for anything that he did, but for everything that we did. And that he rose on the third day. And now he is the one that's calling all men and women to himself. You know what I mean? And it's our trust that we put and who he is and what he did, that's what saves us. And so just want to read a couple of scriptures that, that really that really solidify that, right, uh, about who Jesus is. Uh, Isaiah 9 and 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, let's take out John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or John 1.14, when he breaks it down, and the Word, in case you didn't know, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 5, 18. Listen to this. Because of the Jews, because of this, the Jews tried even harder to kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So even right then they knew. They said he's calling God his father. He's making himself equal with God, right? Uh, the last one. Jesus said to them, this is John 8, 58. Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, he didn't say before Abraham was, I was. You know, he said before Abraham was, I am. Invoking that he is God, right? And so we need to remind people of that. We need to know for ourselves that Jesus is God. And last, we need to know that God is the Savior. That there's no other way that man can be saved. And I can preach up here until I'm blue in the face. Unless God saves a man, he will not be saved. We can evangelize till we blue in the face. Unless God saves a woman, she will not be saved. And so what we really need to be doing is praying. Praying for our loved ones. Praying for our relatives. Praying for our neighborhoods. Praying for our friends. Praying for our co-workers, praying, 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 praying for the uh, the countries that we don't even, we can't even pronounce the names of them. You know what I mean? Praying for D.C., praying for Southeast, praying for Congress Heights, praying for Lincoln uh, Lincoln Heights. We need to be praying for these places yeah. because it's God who saves. That's right. That's right. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to preach your word, Father. 
Uh, I thank you for everybody that's here, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would take this word just like you did with the, the fish and five loaves, Lord, and you would give us all our fill, Father God, that you would encourage us, Father God, to do your will, um, your perfect will, Father God. We, we just ask that you would use us mightily. Father God, if there's somebody in here who doesn't know you to the saving of their sins, Father, you said one man plants, one man waters, but you give the increase. So we're praying, Father God, that every inkling of the service, Father God, will serve in this person drawing closer to you and repenting of his sins and turning, Lord, from all unrighteousness and uh, putting his mind and his feet towards you, Father God, walking in the way that you would want them to walk. So Father God, I just thank you, Lord. I pray, Father God, that, uh, that you would be glorified. Uh, I thank you for the ghost writer that I had to write this sermon. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, Father God, that uh, he can do amazing things, Lord, with, with your word, Father. And we believe in that. And we pray all things in Jesus' name. Amen.